Hey, Jeff Goldblum, welcome to the studio. I wanted to uh, just show you what I have here. This is the totality of evidence that uh, proves that dinosaurs existed exactly as they're portrayed in modern culture. So if you could take a look at this and uh, tell me what you think. That is one big pile of shit. everybody to everything allegedly my name is sean thank you so much for joining me today i really do appreciate it i uh got a fun one for you today i really enjoy this topic and uh as jeff goldblum says when talking about dinosaurs and the proof that we have that they are like our modern interpretations of them well, the evidence is truly one big pile of shit. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and uh, on that note, I um, I probably wouldn't have kids listening to this episode. It'd be kind of sad. I mean, I wouldn't have kids listen to any of my episodes, but this one would be particularly sad to hear if you're a kid, because if you're anything like me, I loved dinosaurs, loved dinosaurs, and... Um, I still do. I, I really do. And I and I want them to be exactly as they are presented to us because as they are, they're so cool. How could you not love dinosaurs? We've all seen Jurassic Park and man, growing up when I did, boy, that was that movie really kind of set the tone for my um, my love, my obsession uh, with dinosaurs. But, um, you know. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna be saying real nice things about them today. <laughs> not like in that movie. I've uh, got my frankincense here burning, as I always do. Frankincense is like my. Uh, it's like my podcast juju. So I always have a little bit burning while I'm doing my podcast. And speaking of Jurassic Park, it makes me think. Gee, I hope there aren't any uh, <laughs> any prehistoric mosquitoes in there that are getting burnt up when I could have extracted their DNA and just created a dinosaur for myself. I could just mix it with that of a frog, right? I'm sure you've all seen the movie. That's why I'm go going on about it. But anyway, yes, we are going to talk about dinosaurs today. And I'm going to talk about this one a little bit in reverse. I'm going to kind of, I don't know, tell the story a bit out of order. At least that's, that's uh, how it feels when I was thinking about this. And uh, when I started thinking about um, how I would tell the, the story of, of dinosaurs and, and what they really are or might be, I was thinking a lot about the uh, previous episode that, uh, that I did about Tartaria. And if you remember that episode, if you listen to that episode, it's all about how maybe our timeline of history is a little bit off. It may not be as it seems. And you know, maybe civilizations were uh, uh, here and there in our history, kind of in a different order or uh, possibly just existed in a way that doesn't match what's in our textbooks today. And that's kind of how I feel about dinosaurs. Dinosaurs, uh, you know, maybe, maybe they existed as we know them today, but I don't think so. I think, I think dinosaurs as we know them are about as accurate as the uh, science fiction, the movies, the cartoons that portray them. I think that dinosaurs are more science fiction than they are science. Now, that's not to say some things haven't uh, been gotten right by the, uh, the uh, paleontologists and the uh, scientists, but, uh, but you know what? I'm sure they didn't get it all right. And so when I think about that Tartaria episode... Something that's interesting about the Tartaria theories is that there was a turning point. There was kind of an era of the mid-1800s to 1900 where it seemed like everything kind of changed. It seemed like during that very 
kind of short period of time, roughly a 50-year period, a lot of stuff happened, and it seems like we are kind of living through a grand deception that may have been uh, put into place at that time. A massive amount of the things that we believe today, things that are part of our popular culture or part of the kind of grand narrative of of Western culture seem to have come out of that era. They seem to have started during that um, Industrial Revolution era that we all know about. But, uh, you know, that era is defined by the uh, kind of robber barons of that time. And it seems like what they were doing was setting up an almost, I don't know, like a, a, a knowledge feudal system. It seems like while they on the outside appeared to be offering us all of these great new things like standardized education and you know, energy and, and, and things like that, all these things that they set up. Well, it also seems like they were kind of the gatekeepers of that stuff. We talked about this in the school episode. We talked about this in the medicine episode. We talked about this in the Tartaria episode. And that era of the 1850s to 1900s really is a turning point in human knowledge. At least it is in the Western world. And so we're either to believe that that these robber barons were the great benefactors of our education and our enlightenment, or, uh, you know, like I said, they were giving us the grand deception and uh, subsequent control and uh, kind of a, a prison for our minds, if you will. So what would be the point of them setting up this kind of, um, I don't know, this... Uh, this control, this mind prison, why would they do that? And how would they do that? Well, they would do that uh, most likely by making you feel insignificant. Because if you don't feel like your life has ultimate value, if you're not a divine creation, if your life isn't special and meaningful individually, then it's you're much easier to control. And so, you know, the, the, the heliocentric model, um, you know, if, if you believe that uh, you are just a piece of evolved bacteria uh, spinning through space, you know, on this watery ball that's, uh, you know, 13.8 billion years old or whatever, and you exist in just some tiny speck of, of time in this vast galaxy that's unimaginably large, well, it's kind of easy to control you because you don't think that you must not think that your life matters at all. But I think it does. <laughs> I think your life matters. <laughs> I think you're more than evolved bacteria or monkeys or whatever it is they say. But um, but that's just history, right? That's that's not today, right? That's that's um, you know it is going on today. It is going on today. It's not just history. I'm not just, you know, referencing the 1850s or whatever to tell you that um, that there's a grand deception. We, we can go back to 1981 where uh, Bill Casey or uh, uh, CIA director William Casey, uh, he made a statement when he said, we'll uh, quote, we'll know our disinformation program is complete when everything the American public believes is fake. Wow, that's weird. <laughs> okay, so the CIA, the director, is telling us that they want everything we believe to be fake? Huh, that's interesting. <laughs> that's interesting. So, okay, I guess this is still going on today. I guess they're still trying to uh, deceive us in every way, and it's probably to, uh, you know, again, make us feel uh, totally insignificant and to uh, to create this idea of, of scarcity. That's another one of them. So that we're consumers, so that we're slaves at the company store. And, uh, you know, the best way to keep you consuming is to uh, disconnect you from your spiritual self. And so I feel like that's what's going on. I'm sorry, I know that was a kind of long intro or a long explanation for um, what we're about to talk about. But I kind of feel like that's why there is a grand deception. It's to keep us 
disconnected from our true spiritual and enlightened self. And to just, again, make you feel like an insignificant speck of dust, you know, hurling through infinite space in a universe that's too big for you to understand, so don't even try. But we're not going to talk about all that right now. (laughs) We're just talking about one little part of it. And, um, you know, speaking of, let's just, speaking of too big to understand, let's talk about that 13.8 billion years. So if, uh, if you believe the Big Bang, which I've mentioned many times on this podcast, I think is absolutely preposterous, ridiculous, and it is a giant pile of shit. <laughs> because if you believe that everything, everything in, the, in, in our world was uh, just created out of nothing spontaneously for no reason at all. Well, I've got a bridge in Brooklyn to sell you because it's insane to think that and nobody can explain it and we don't have any examples of it happening here on Earth. But anyway, (laughs) it's ridiculous. The Big Bang is stupid. But if we uh, assume that, that modern humans, like as we know in our form, probably around for something like 200,000 years. So what is that compared to 13.8 billion? Well, it's like way, 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 way less than 1%. It's like four zeros and then a one. So 0.4 zeros and then a one. It's tiny. It's, uh, it's, it's like a zero chance. It's probably a better chance than, <laughs> than you'll die from COVID. But anyway, it's a tiny minuscule number. And um, if you think about like our kind of recorded history. Now we're talking about like 4,000 years. And, uh, you know, that's even, it's so impossibly small. It's a flash in the pan in the time scale. So, so there you go. Your life is uh, nothing. It means nothing in the grand scale of time. All right. Have I uh, harped on this point long enough? Well, let's get into dinosaurs then. When are dinosaurs said to have existed? What is the timeline or the the time scale of the dinosaurs? Well, they existed something like 160 million years ago, we're said. 160 million years ago. So if we're only 200,000 years old as a species, the amount of time between us and these dinosaurs, it is a massive, massive amount. It's, It's incomprehensibly large on the scales of time. So, um, so what was going on between like us right now and the dinosaurs? Well, apparently their bones were just sitting around, just sitting around waiting for us to dust them off with one of those little, uh, you know, uh, paintbrushes or whatever, whatever you see them doing in the movies, their, uh, their bones were just chilling, waiting for us to find them. And, uh, you know, you might assume that like, because humans are 200,000 years old or whatever, and because these dinosaurs were around millions of years ago, that, uh, that all these indigenous people and uh, tribes in the West and everything, they, they might have um, stumbled upon these massive giant bones. You, you would think they would. I mean, these were prolific hunters of large animals. And so you would think that if, uh, you know, they stumbled across a bone that's the... Uh, you know, the size of a school bus or something, they might take notice of that. But you would be wrong <laughs> because there is absolutely no proof whatsoever that indigenous people uh, collected these bones, displayed these bones, had any kind of reverence for them. And um, that would be weird because a lot of these bones just appear to be pretty close to the surface or as we're told today. But yet no uh, indigenous uh, peoples who, by the way, were very proficient at bringing things out of the earth, uh, the, specifically the ones in South America, really, really good at at taking gold from the earth and refining it and making it into uh, uh, beautiful jewelry and sculptures. And so I guess they just never ran into a dinosaur bone when they were digging around. Very strange to me. And so when did dinosaurs actually become a thing? Well, we have very specific dates for uh, the uh, discovery of dinosaurs. I am doing air quotes here. I know you can't see them like every time. But the first mention, the first mention ever of dinosaurs is from 1842. 
And we're getting right there in that era, right? Right there in that that Tataria, that Grand Deception era, that one that I'm so suspicious of. And um, it was uh, it was mentioned by a guy named Sir Richard Owen. By the way, I'm also very uh, suspicious of sirs. <laughs> Anyone who has been knighted, well, I'm suspicious of you because uh, because because you are involved with the lizard people. So anyway, uh, first mention of dinosaurs. 1842, and basically this dude, Sir Richard Owen, was said to have a couple of fragments of dinosaur bones, and from that, from these fragments, they're not even whole bones, he basically comes up with the entire theory of dinosaurs that we have today. And what he theorized at that time with with bone fragments was essentially pretty close to what we have today as far as dinosaurs. He came up with one called the Megalosaurus. And if you uh, look at what that is, it's basically the T-Rex. And he came up with one called Iguanodon. And that one is essentially like what we call the modern day, like Velociraptor. And he came up with the Hyliosaurus. And this one is essentially like a Triceratops without the, uh, without the cool helmet on. And so this guy with a couple of bone fragments came up with dinosaurs. Very interesting, right? So, so when did we actually start finding the bones? Well, dinosaur bones, I'm doing quotes again, started being found in 1854. That was the first like whole dinosaur bones that were found. Right there, again, 1854, a guy named Ferdinand Vandeveer Hayden. And they were found uh, here in the U.S., uh, somewhere near the Mississippi River. And basically what he found at that time was some teeth, just some teeth. And, um, and, and so what that did was it started like this dinomania. It started like this, this uh, crazy interest in dinosaurs and uh, because they were being talked about eight years prior, and because some teeth were being found now, everyone went ape shit for dinosaurs. And um, so these things, these things that were were only real in the minds of people before this time, were now starting to come into reality. Hmm, very interesting. And so there was a lot of buzz, a lot of excitement, and it would be like 20 years later where they would start finding uh, more complete dinosaur bones. Now, they weren't really complete, but more complete than a couple of teeth. And so we're, we're into the mid-1870s. This is prime deception era, and um, this is the era that they would start to, uh, wouldn't you know it, find these bones, and they were able to put them uh, into uh, assembled skeletons. And um, this was happening in Colorado, Montana, Wyoming, the same sort of areas we uh, associate with dinosaurs now. And um, wouldn't you know, very good luck would have it that these dinosaurs that they started finding basically look exactly like the dinosaurs that were theorized 30 years ago earlier. Isn't that funny? Isn't it amazing how when they started putting these things together, they just kind of looked exactly like what the people before uh, theorized they would look like? It's, it's really amazing. It's, it's, it's almost as if, almost as if they were putting them together to look like what Sir Richard Owen had theorized so many years before. But anyway, um, this era from like the, the 1870s, 1880s, this is what's now called the bone wars. And essentially it is, uh, like the gold rush, but for dinosaur bones. And it really involved these two guys. Uh, one of them was called Edward Cope and the other one was called, um, Othniel Charles Marsh or OC Marsh as he's, uh, kind of referred to. And these two guys were like bitter rivals. They really hated each other. This was like a real rivalry to be like the first and famous uh, dinosaur hunter to basically put paleontology on the map. And there was a lot of crazy shit going on between these guys, like like real gnarly stuff. Like they would sabotage each other. Uh, they had to have like armed guards watching their, uh, you know, dinosaur discovery sites. They... Um, they had spies that would like go work for each other's 
team and they had uh, they they would like steal shipments that were that were coming from the west I, I presumably back to the east coast where they where they put these things and I mean it was just a lot of crazy stuff these bone wars were like quite literally wars and so uh, y- you wouldn't necessarily think that this kind of stuff is going on for scientific discovery but here's a quote from a book called the dinosaur project dinosaur project is kind of like the uh, kind of like a big book that retells the history of dinosaurs. And so anyway, here's a quote from that book. It says, it was a fierce scientific rivalry that entailed some of the most underhanded shenanigans in the history of science. And it goes on to say, they also amassed a stupendous collection of fossils. Huh. That's interesting. You got to wonder why, right? You got to wonder why some of the um, the most underhanded shenanigans in history are what gave us our modern conception of dinosaurs. You got to wonder why there was so many uh, secret ops and things going on, why there were armed guards at the sites of where they were supposedly discovering these dinosaur bones. It's really, really strange. But I guess they just got lucky. I guess they just got so lucky that their theories um, were basically exactly the same as what they ended up finding. Because um, they, uh, they started finding these bones in a very tightly controlled area. And, uh, you know, bitter rivalries would happen and, and massive amounts of bones were found. Does that all make sense? It doesn't really make sense. Because what if the gold rush was happening... And there were two bitter rivals, and they were the only ones finding gold. And they were only finding them in this really specific areas that they controlled. That would be kind of weird. But that is the story of dinosaur bones and where they started. And, um, you know, you got to also wonder why these guys were rivals. Um, When it comes to dinosaurs and the talk of dinosaurs, there is a lot of religion, uh, you know, concerns with dinosaurs. Uh, deeply religious people, uh, you know, in the in the Christian faith and and, uh, you know, Calvinists and such. Uh, a lot of uh, people who believe in young earth theory that the uh, that the earth is only as old as the as the Bible states. Um, yeah, they, they have problems with dinosaurs. And so you have essentially uh, the guy Cope, um, uh, Edward Cope, and he was uh the son of a of one of these pastors, uh, a very religious man, and then you have um, O.C. Marsh, and and Marsh is like this kind of, you know, uh, uh, well, <laughs> here let me give you this. Where do you think now? <laughs> where do you think Marsh was from? Where do you think Marsh was doing his studies? Well, if you've been listening to this podcast, you probably guessed Yale, and you would be right. Yes, Marsh was from Yale, and he was funded by the Peabody's. (laughs) And so, you know, he's got the same pedigree as essentially all of these... all of these other robber baron scumbags. I'm not saying he's a robber baron himself, but he, you know, he certainly worked for him. And so, and this guy Marsh, by the way, he's still all over Yale. He's uh, he's got a lecture hall named after him, and in fact, he's all over there because he's buried there. And um, you know, something else that's important to note is um, is this term, right? Fossil fuel, fossil fuel. Now, something else that was going on at Yale at exactly the same time were uh, were two guys. This is uh, Benjamin Silman Sr. and Benjamin Silman Jr. They were father and son. And essentially what they did at this exact same era was that they gave us the modern way that we use oil through a uh, uh, distillation process that they invented. And it was funded by the Rockefeller interest and... um, and uh, interestingly enough, these, this guy, uh, Silman, he also found a, a, uh, a meteor 
<laughs> so we've got like, you know, dinosaurs and meteor and space and oil. We got, we got everything, right? It's all from this, this same tightly controlled little thing going on there at Yale. Anyway, that meteor was supposedly found in Weston, which is like the next town over from me. So maybe I'll go there <laughs> and hunt for some meteors of my own. I'm not going to hold my breath though, but uh, apparently that meteor is in the Peabody Museum. So Anyway, anyway, all these dudes are buried at Yale. They're they're all in the super cre- creepy graveyard there at Yale, which uh, big, big shout out to Mystic Mark. He's the one that gave me a tour of this uh, of this uh, gravesite of this um, cemetery and pointed out all these figures to me. Very, very interesting stuff. If you get a chance to go to Yale, walk around and see the stuff there. It is super interesting. But anyway, yeah, all these guys are buried there. All these guys shaped the ideas uh, uh, for us and uh, basically at the behest of the robber barons of that age. So, uh, by the way, oil, (laughs) it's uh, it's not fossil fuel. It's not made from fossils. Uh, That 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 was a. uh, a term that was uh, coined before they had any proof whatsoever that that was the source of oil, and it's just kind of stuck around. Um, Oil is uh, hydrocarbons. It's essentially these long chains of hydrogen and carbon. They're the two most abundant elements on Earth. If you know anything about gardening and farming, uh, carbon sequestration is when carbon is taken back into the ground. And so there is some process happening within the Earth that is creating oil. But what it's not (laughs) is dinosaurs. It's not like the Sinclair gas station with that picture of a big brontosaurus. That's not how we get oil. But but anyway, again, all these things kind of fitting together, kind of all coming out of the same era. And we still have these beliefs today. And and, and you can just kind of see how all these funny puzzle pieces fit together. And... um, and, uh, you know, how many others have come out of uh, Yale that are shaping opinions right now? Right now, how many others have uh, come out of uh, Yale and the Skull and Bones Club, speaking of bones, right? I mean, we got John Kerry, the climate czar, flying around telling us not to use our air conditioner. And uh, who else? Do we uh, Obviously, uh, the Bushes, uh, Poppy Bush and George W. Bush, <laughs> they had quite an impact on uh on Western society, I would say, but there's a bunch of them. There is a bunch of them and they know all this stuff. I'm saying they know all this stuff. They, they don't buy the nonsense. John Kerry does not care a thing. He does not give one single tiny shit about the environment. What he does care about is shaping the narrative and shaping the ideas of society to fit his own interests. That's what they're doing. So anyway, Wow, that was a long <laughs> that was a long tangent on Yale. Uh, let's get back to these bones. I'm doing quotes again. You can't see them, but uh, when I'm saying bones, I am doing quotes. And uh, what what exactly what exactly are these things? And how old are they? How uh, do we know how old they are? These bones that we're saying belong to dinosaurs that are 160 million years um, old. Well. It's it's uh, it's tough to say. <laughs> it's tough to say exactly how old they are because you may have heard of carbon dating, and a lot of times when people talk about really old stuff, they talk about carbon dating. And uh, what is carbon dating? Well, it takes the uh, carbon fourteen atom, and that atom decays at a certain constant rate. I don't have the exact. It's like five five thousand years or something. It takes uh, for this atom to decay, the half life. And um, anyway. What they're able to do is measure that carbon-14 atom against the carbon-12 atom, and um, that measurement, the comparison between the two, will give us uh, how old something is. But it really only works for organic matter, and kind of the oldest we can go with that is about 50,000 years. Now, as we talked about when I was uh, telling you about the very confusing timescales that we're dealing with, 50,000 years compared to 160 million years, is uh, is nothing. 50,000 years is a speck on that time scale. So there's a, there's a lot of distance there between 50,000 years and 160 million years. So how do they tell us that these things are this old? How do we know that dinosaur bones are as old as they say they are? Well, they, they basically just imagine it. <laughs> and they do that by looking at layers 
of the earth. And so basically, if you, I uh, guess, uh, dig down into the earth in certain areas, you can see that the, the soil and the sediment and the rocks and ground is kind of stratified in these layers, much like you would look at the rings of a tree. And from those uh, stratified layers of the earth, you are um, making guesses. You're making guesses at how old these things are. So that's how they come up with these, uh, with how old the uh, dinosaurs are. And I guess, hey, if you're making up shit like the Big Bang, why not make up the dinosaurs were 160 million years old too? Because you know what? Might as well. <laughs> Might as well. But you know what? These bones, these bones aren't really bones. They're not really bones. They're fossils because a bone is not around for 160 million years. No, of course not. Uh, these are fossils. And so what they are is they're, they're petrified. They, they have turned to stone. Uh, they're not bones any longer. And, and what we are told, how we are told this fossilization works, this petrification is essentially that over millions of years, these things become mineralized or fossilized. But, but how does that work? Well, it works because the individual atoms, individual atoms of uh, silica, say, these things that make up rocks, uh, slowly over time replace or displace the atoms of the bones or the tissue or whatever it is. And uh, they replace the, uh, you know, the, uh, the calcium, whatever. And so... Um, they can do this mineralization right now, but they can only do it in a laboratory setting under very specific conditions, and they can only do it a little bit, like a tiny bit. And so, yes, I guess over the vast uh, amount of time, 160 million years, as we're said, uh, I guess a mineralization, a uh, petrifying, or a uh, fossilization could happen, but we don't really have any, uh, I'm going to call them like, like existing proofs of the process. There are no halfway fossilized items. Uh, to the best of my knowledge, there, there aren't any bones that we have unearthed from kind of the halfway in between where the uh, minerals got halfway in and they just uh, stopped there. And now we can examine and go, okay, this is part of the old structure. This is part of the new structure. That basically doesn't exist, but it should exist. Shouldn't we be able to find halfway fossilized things? If this is a process that takes hundreds of millions of years or whatever it is, we should be able to have some halfway fossilized things. But uh, no, no, we don't really have that. And by the way, speaking of Jurassic Park and what I mentioned at the beginning, the amber, right? <laughs> Remember the amber? They found the fossilized tree amber, which is, um, you know, it's fossilized tree sap. And so, you know, I, I've read that this stuff exists and that there really are these insects with, with uh, biologic material or whatever in them that they can study. But what I'm not real sure of is how exactly the amber gets fossilized, but the insect inside doesn't, right? What, wouldn't this... <laughs> This mineralization process that is happening to the amber, how does it know to stop at the insect? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, uh, <laughs> that's uh, that's just one of my my funny thoughts on the matter. Anyway, uh, so yeah, so that's um, that's me for uh, uh, that. That's <laughs> anyway my take on fossils. But anyway, yeah, so these fossils are they're very rare. So let's just say they do exist in the way that we're told they exist. They are really rare and they're valuable. So if they weren't so rare, people would be finding them. So I have to assume that uh, if, uh, if there were dinosaurs and all this life and matter, living matter on Earth 160 million years ago, well, there wouldn't be much of it around now. And that does seem to be the case. So who knows? Maybe fossils are real exactly as they are claimed to be, but I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. And, uh, you know, another, another thing that, that when you talk about fossils, when you talk about dinosaur fossils and you look into it, one of the, um, the proofs, 
one of the things that you'll see that's cited by like archaeologists, paleontologists, whatever, is about just this massive preponderance of evidence. That that's how they say that uh, you know we we know dinosaur. We're pretty sure we're pretty sure about all this dinosaur stuff because of the massive amount of evidence we have. And they go, we we got tons, hundreds of thousands of of fossils from the area. But you know what they're not saying is that like the vast majority of these these fossils that they have, these uh, fossil specimens, are uh, are things like trilobites. These these are things like uh, these. I don't know. Ba- basically, a trilobite is like a like an ancient lobster without claws, basically. And so it's an it's a marine bug, basically. And so so what you have, yes, there are there are hundreds of thousands of fossil finds out there, but most of them aren't like your T-Rexes. Most of them aren't these giant big dinosaurs. Uh, those ones, the big dinosaurs, the big things, the really old ones, those are super, super, super exceedingly rare. And, um, all right, now let, let's talk into, let, let's talk, speaking of, speaking of T-Rexes, speaking of T-Rexes, you may have heard of Sue. Have you heard of Sue? Sue is a, uh, Tyrannosaurus Rex, uh, skeleton, and it was found in South Dakota. And one of the things that's important to remember about these dinosaur digs is they are, they are, they're funded like anything else. These things are funded as a business venture. They get capital raised to go and do these digs. You know, uh, speaking of Jurassic Park, the beginning of Jurassic Park features just such a scenario. The uh, scientists are kind of working on their their uh, meager budget to find dinosaur bones, and um, and uh, you know they're they're presented with this offer to go see actual dinosaurs, and it's under the the pretext that they're going to get a massive amount of funding after that or whatever. And so, yeah, these, these digs, they're, they're funded. They are business opportunities. They are business undertakings. And so these businesses are going to want results. Generally, you're not going to send people out to dig for something and then just find nothing and be like, okay, cool. So I'm not saying that these, uh, these, uh, Paleontologists, archaeologists are, you know, faking or 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 uh, planting bones to dig up, but it is a little weird. It is a little interesting that they're able to go out there, get these digs fund funded, and actually find things that are uh, meaningful discoveries. When you think about 160 million years ago, wouldn't the distribution of these things be kind of? either too far under the earth to find or just so far spread out something. Anyway, I'm just saying (laughs) these uh, business ventures are pretty profitable. Anyway, Sue, the Tyrannosaurus Rex was found in South Dakota and it was really weird. It's a really weird story. There was a lot of stories afterward that didn't really match up. Now the, the bones themselves were found by a woman named Sue Hendricks, or she's the one credited for the find. And they had this really weird scenario where they weren't really finding anything. So they were kind of leaving. And then the car broke down and everyone else left except for Sue. And so she started to just kind of walk around the area. And she happened to happen to stumble upon this, you know, T-Rex that was just kind of hanging out of the side of a, of a cliff, a little cliff there, uh, right next to a river. And so she just stumbled upon it by accident. Their car just happened to break down. And by this happy accident, she just happened to be walking by a uh, T-Rex skeleton that was, uh, there poking out of the, the dirt. And what's interesting is that, um, the rancher says he was the rancher who owned this property says he was quite familiar, frequented that area, and he'd never seen it before. And, uh, but anyway, that is, that is like the best skeleton that's ever been found. That is like your, your quintessential Tyrannosaurus Rex skeleton. And there's a bunch of weird stuff about it. It's just this happy accident that, um, that just happened to work out perfectly for that team. So anyway, I'm not saying it didn't happen. But it's not like it was just uh, not like it just went off without a hitch or or whatever. And so 
back to Jurassic Park because it's <laughs> it's coming up a lot here. Think think back again to that scene at the beginning of Jurassic Park, and there is a a shot that um, that shows these uh, these these dinosaur bones just kind of perfectly laid out uh, in the ground as a uh, as as a dinosaur wouldn't have existed. Just just uh, completely articulated in the ground perfectly. And so you might think that that's how these things are found. You might think that uh, they know how the dinosaur bones go together because when they find them, they're just all like perfectly laying there uh, with with instructions on how to be put back together. But that is definitely not <laughs> that's definitely not how they come out of the ground. They they come out of the ground, whatever they are, as like a giant jumbled up mess of bones. And um, I mean, just think about the 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 physics of this. So this. This giant mass of uh, of uh, this dinosaur, this mass of flesh and bones, whatever it is, uh, it dies and and um, it's laying there in the ground, whatever. Maybe it's covered with silt. I mean, that's how they say the fossils form. So maybe it's covered with silt. But that dinosaur and all of its flesh and stuff were were um, full of bacteria, and so it's going to decay. It's going to do things. It's not going to just like uh, lay there uh, perfectly. Uh, for you to find it. And then you have to talk about 160 million years of uh, tectonic plates or geologic activity or whatever, whatever. Right. So, so yeah, these, uh, these, <laughs> these discoveries of bones, they don't really look like, uh, like you might think they look. In fact, go try and find one, go try and find like a drone shot or whatever of like a dinosaur being unearthed that actually looks like a dinosaur. Good luck. <laughs> Good luck. You're not going to find it. And you would think, you would think if that happens, there would be a bunch of pictures of it. I would think so. I would think there'd be tons of pictures of it. But when you try and look for it, really all you find is a bunch of pictures of children's toys. Because it's funny, funny enough, the, uh, the children's toys all look exactly like the scenario I'm laying out. So, uh, I don't know. I guess they want kids to believe that that's the way they find dinosaur bones, but that is not the way they actually find them. But wait a sec, right? We've all seen them in museums. Haven't you seen one of the articulated skeletons that is there in the museum? Oh my gosh, it's so big and glorious and grand. These things are stomping around the earth, these giant uh, behemoths, leviathans. Leviathans, as they are assumed to be called in the Bible. Anyway, I won't go on that tangent. But um, yeah, these things, we've seen them in, uh, in, in museums, right? Well, <laughs> well, you saw something. <laughs> you saw something in the museum. <laughs> it may not have been what you thought it was because you didn't actually see dinosaur bones. No, back to Jurassic Park. According to uh, Don Lessam, now Don Lessam is an archaeologist, and he was a uh, he was an advisor to the uh, Jurassic Park project. And basically, what John Lessam said about those uh, those uh, dinosaur displays that you see in a museum, well, the bones themselves are too rare to display, and what you're actually seeing is a reproduction of the bone of the fossil that was unearthed. And that the real bones are so rare and so valuable that they are stored away in vaults, away from the public, in controlled access. Which is very strange, right? Isn't that strange? Because these things are rocks, right? I mean, what harm are you going to do by looking at them? They're fossils. They're rocks. <laughs> So what are you going to do by looking at them? Why do they need to keep them in a vault? I mean, you can essentially go in a museum and see art pieces that are worth hundreds of millions of dollars. How much is a dinosaur fossil worth? Why aren't you putting the real ones on display? I don't know. But according to Don Lessam, what you are seeing in those museums is not the real dinosaur bones. But they made something for you to look at. Now, let's just assume that what they made uh, for you to look at is a is a real accurate reproduction. Let's just assume that. So, um, but how do you know? 
How do you know that that reproduction is accurate? How do you know that what they have assembled for you to look at from these reproduced bones is what the dinosaur looked like? Well, we don't really actually know that either because many times they're just guessing. They're making educated guesses. They're making, um, you know, hypothesis on how these things went together. And they don't go together exactly as well as you might think. It's not like they came with an instruction manual. It's not like bones, when they come apart, have an exact fit to the next bone because there's a lot of tissue and um, tendons and things that hold bones together that's not there when we find them later. So uh, there is a book, and it's called How to Make Your Own Dinosaur Out of Chicken Bones. This is a real book, and you can go on Amazon and buy it right now. And um, what is it? Well, it's, uh, it's a book that shows you how to uh, essentially articulate or assemble uh, chicken bones into essentially any kind of dinosaur you want. You can make a, a T-Rex, you can make a Brontosaurus, whatever. It just depends on how you arrange the bones from a chicken. So if you can do that, if you can take the bones from a chicken and arrange them into really any dinosaur you want, well, do you think they're getting it exactly right with 160 million year old dinosaur bones? I don't know. I don't know if they are. <laughs> also, when you go to museums, you'll notice on some of these exhibits that um, there's a little plaque in front of them. And a lot of times they'll have this, this graphic. And what it shows is it shows like a silhouette of the dinosaur that you're looking at. And it will show like a couple of the bones that they supposedly have of that dinosaur. So it'll show like this T-Rex or whatever uh, silhouette. And then within that silhouette, it'll show like a femur and a foot and an arm or something. And that's what they have. <laughs> They're telling you that they built this T-Rex uh, skeleton that you're looking at based off of those couple of bones. So just pay attention to that. Next time you go look, <laughs> you can see that, um, you know, they're, they're, they're making a lot of leaps anyway <laughs> in their assumptions about these things. And, um, and whatever these bones are, whatever these fossils are, they're really expensive, right? We know they're really expensive because there is an entire industry that goes with uh, digging for them, for handling them. You know, the museums itself have to create these exhibits, which would get people in the door, which would create jobs for their employees. And then all the authors and the movies and the television show, there's a massive, massive industry from all of these bones, <laughs> all of these fossils. And um, all of that pop culture basically gives us what they look like today and, um, and what they ate and how they moved. And remember Jurassic Park, you know, they can't see you if you don't move because their visual acuity is based on movement or whatever. And then remember the line would say, they said, oh, they do move in herds. You know, it's all nonsense. They don't know any of that. They don't know a single thing about how a dinosaur acted because what they're doing is they're making assumptions based on the skeletal structure that was assembled based on a bunch of assumptions. And then they're, they're making these different types of dinosaurs and they're filling our, our imaginations full of these things like T-Rexes and Brontosauruses and uh, Triceratops and blah, 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 blah. But it's assumption based on assumption, based on assumption, based on assumption. And uh, that's really all it is. So, uh, so that, uh, you know, you can't tell all that stuff. You can't tell all that stuff I just mentioned from looking at 160 million year old bones. I mean, yes, you can look at animals today and go, okay, they do certain things and they move a certain way. But if we're to assume these things are 160 million years old, and if we're to assume all of that evolution in between, you can't tell me anything about that animal. You can't tell me a single damn thing about it based on a couple of bones. So you know what? I don't know. Maybe dinosaurs are real. Maybe they're a lot like the ones that we have today. I don't really know for sure. But what I can guarantee 
is that a lot of mistakes were made. A lot of mistakes were made, uh, <laughs> you know, since we started finding these things. And the problem isn't that we are interested in dinosaurs and that uh, that we love them so much. That's not the problem. Um, you know, I like pro wrestling. I think pro wrestling is super cool. I love it. Uh, a lot of people love uh, I don't know, Lord of the Rings. There's a lot of things that we love that aren't real. The problem is that we pass all of these things off as science. And we go look at them in museums that are uh, displaying other kinds of science that we can look at and prove some of the more recent ancient things. And we teach it in textbooks. And um, we have no actual way of knowing what it is for sure. And so I'm conflicted because, yes, I do love dinosaurs. I love the idea of them. And I think that they enriched my childhood in a way that other fictional things enrich my childhood. But they were special because they were real. So I have that conflict. I don't want to believe that they're fake. But when you start to look into them, yeah, they're probably not as we think they are. So just to recap, just to recap, dinosaurs were a theory. And they just happened to find bones that matched the theory perfectly. And when we found enough bones to assemble skeletons, those also matched the theory almost perfectly. And that dino timeline, the dinosaur timeline, just happened to match the Big Bang Theory and the oil industry and a bunch of other things that came out of that same era of robber barons, of just a small group of robber barons. And uh, they, uh, they created an industry with form, uh, uh, excuse me, with um, fame and fortune and legacy, legacy as we have seen in O.C. Marsh. And these caused massive rivalries because they knew somebody was going to win. And we have fossils, um, suspiciously found fossils with dubious science and plenty of artistic um, assumptions and representations. And then today we have a modern, massive industry full of jobs, money, government and private funding, and a lot of personal agendas involved because of the livings that people make on dinosaurs. And after pointing all of this stuff out, what you might find is that I'm just a nut or a science denier or a religious fanatic. So it's funny how that works, isn't it? <laughs> it's funny how that works. And by the way, if you mention this topic to somebody, if you mention, hey, I heard dinosaurs might not actually be real. Ooh, they get mad. <laughs> they really get mad because this one is defended like wearing your COVID mask. People will fight you to the death if you don't think that dinosaurs are real exactly as they were on Jurassic Park, a fictional movie. Anyway, <laughs> that's what I have, everyone. Thank you so much. That's what I have uh, for dinosaurs. I would encourage you to uh, to go out and research because you know what? There's plenty of it that does point to dinosaurs being real, and there's a whole lot that reading between the lines uh, shows that they aren't real. So if you're interested in this topic, I'll post some links for you to look at. Um, I really love this topic, and it's not because I hate dinosaurs. It's because I really love them, and I just have a thirst for knowledge, and I hope you do too. In fact, I know you do because you listen to this show. And anyway, I've got a song for you. I always try and find a good song. I think a song at the end just kind of wraps it up nicely. And you know what? Speaking of songs, in one of the upcoming episodes, I will talk about that song at the beginning. It's kind of a weird song, right? And um, I promise I will tell that story soon. But uh, but I'm going to give you a song to wrap up this episode. And, you know, usually a song just comes to mind. Usually while I'm thinking about an episode, the song just pops in my head. But that wasn't the case this time. I had to look. I had to use the Google machine to uh, to find a song that was appropriate for this. And I did. 
I'm so happy I did. I found a song called Walk the Dinosaur, and it was in uh, like Super Mario Brothers and uh, Flintstones. The song has been done a lot, but uh, this particular version is uh, done, by, or I'm sorry, the, uh, the, uh, the original version was done by, uh, it's called Was, Was Not, and it was like a funk revival project in, in Detroit. Anyway, I think that was the original, but this version that I found is, uh, is one that features George Clinton. That's right, the great George Clinton, Mr. P-Funk, uh, Dr. Funkenstein himself. And um, I was so happy to find this because George Clinton is a hero of mine. I, I think he was just a super interesting and awesome guy. He feels to me just like pure artistic talent. And he feels like he wasn't like, tainted by any trend of the time. If you if you listen to any modern hip hop or R&B, um it is all really deeply influenced by uh George Clinton and Parliament. So, you know, listen to some Parliament if you uh if you feel so inclined, and I promise you're going to just see it everywhere. I mean, it, it, speaking I I mentioned pro wrestling. If you look at Randy Savage, uh, you know, and, and the things he wears, I mean, look no further than the, uh, the parliament album, um, funk intelligy. And you'll see that, that basically they're all dressed up like Randy Savage before he, he ever did it. If you, uh, if you've listened to outcast outcast is basically like a direct homage to, uh, to George Clinton and, uh, and, and parliament and like all the West coast rap, like all of it. Um, you know, Snoop Dogg and Doggy Style, that that entire album was basically influenced by George Clinton. It just feels like it when you listen to it. And then you got Warren G with the G-Funk era, you know, that's like uh, P-Funk. Anyway, I could go on and on. Um, <laughs> maybe I should have just played Regulate because that song is awesome. But anyway, I could go on and on about George Clinton. I think he's a really interesting guy. And um, I don't think... He really got the respect that he deserves. So I'm happy, so happy to put one of his songs at the end of this episode. Uh, so, so enjoy, and we will uh, we'll see you next time. Summer breeze and a mighty lion's roar. I want the 